Section 39 of the Anzac Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of Anzac, Part 1 by Ian Hamilton. From the Anzac Book. Edited by C. E. W. Bean. The following extracts from the dispatches of Sir Ian Hamilton form a short official summary of the history of Anzac. The Landing The Australian and New Zealand Army Corps sailed out of Mudras Bay on the afternoon of April the 24th, escorted by the 2nd Squadron of the Fleet under Rear Admiral Thursby. The rendezvous was reached just after half-past one in the morning of the 25th, and there the 1,500 men who had been placed on board H.M ships before leaving mudras were transferred to their boats this operation was carried out with remarkable expedition and in absolute silence simultaneously the remaining twenty five hundred men of the covering force were transferred from their transports to six destroyers at two thirty a m h m ships together with the tows and the destroyers proceeded to within some four miles of the coast HMS Queen flying Rear Admiral Thursby's flag, directing on a point about a mile north of Caba Tepe. At 3.30 a.m. orders to go ahead and land were given to the tows, and at 4.10 a.m. the destroyers were ordered to follow. All these arrangements worked without a hitch, and were carried out in complete orderliness and silence. No breath of wind ruffled the surface of the sea, and every condition was favorable save for the moon which sinking behind the ships may have silhouetted them against its orb betraying them thus to watchers on the shore a rugged and difficult part of the coast had been selected for the landing so difficult and rugged that i considered the turks were not at all likely to anticipate such a descent indeed owing to the tows having failed to maintain their exact direction the actual point of disembarkation was rather more than a mile north of that which i had selected and was more closely overhung by steeper cliffs although this accident increased the initial difficulty of driving the enemy off the heights inland it has since proved itself to have been a blessing in disguise inasmuch as the actual base of the force of occupation has been much better defiladed from shellfire the beach on which the landing was actually effected is a very narrow strip of sand about one thousand yards in length bounded on the north and the south by two small promontories at its southern extremity a deep ravine with exceedingly steep scrub-clad sides runs inland in a north-easterly direction near the northern end of the beach a small but steep gully runs up into the hills at right angles to the shore between the ravine and the gully the whole of the beach is backed by the seaward face of the spur which forms the northwestern side of the ravine from the top of the spur the ground falls almost sheer except near the southern limit of the beach where gentler slopes give access to the mouth of the ravine behind further inland lie in a tangled knot the under features of sari bear separated by deep ravines which take a most confusing diversity of direction sharp spurs covered with dense scrubs and falling away in many places in precipitous sandy cliffs radiate from the principal mass of the mountain from which they run northwest west southwest and south to the coast 
the boats approached the land in the silence and the darkness and they were very close to the shore before the enemy stirred then about one battalion of turks was seen running along the beach at this critical moment the conduct of all ranks was most praiseworthy not a word was spoken everyone remained perfectly orderly and quiet awaiting the enemy's fire which sure enough opened causing many casualties the moment the boats touched the land the australians turn had come like lightning they leapt ashore and each man as he did so went straight at his bayonet at the enemy so vigorous was the onslaught that the turks made no attempt to withstand it and fled from ridge to ridge pursued by the australian infantry the attack was carried out by the third australian brigade under major temporary colonel sinclair Macallum, dso the first and second brigades followed promptly and were all disembarked by two p m by which time twelve thousand men and two batteries of indian mountain artillery had been landed the disembarkation of further artillery was delayed owing to the fact that the enemy's heavy guns opened on the anchorage and forced the transports which had been subjected to continuous shelling from his field guns to stand further out to sea the broken ground the thick scrub the necessity for sending any formed detachments post haste as they landed to the critical point all these led to confusion and mixing up of units eventually the mixed crowd of fighting men some advancing from the beach others falling back before the oncoming turkish supports solidified into a semicircular position with its right about a mile north of gaba tepe and its left on the high ground over a fisherman's hut during this period parties of the ninth and tenth battalions charged and put out of action three of the enemy's krupp guns during this period also the disembarkation of the australian division was being followed by that of the new zealand and australian divisions two brigades only from eleven a m to three p m the enemy now reinforced to a strength of twenty thousand men attacked the whole line making a specially strong effort against the third brigade and the left of the second brigade this counter-attack was however handsomely repulsed with the help of the guns of h m ships between five and six thirty p m the counter-attack between five and six thirty p m a third most determined counter-attack was made against the third brigade who held their ground with more than equivalent stubbornness during the night again the turks made constant attacks but in spite of all the line held firm the troops had practically no rest on the night of the twenty fourth twenty fifth they had been fighting hard all day over a most difficult country and they had been subjected to heavy shrapnel fire in the open their casualties had been deplorably heavy but despite their losses and in spite of their fatigue the morning of the twenty sixth found them still in good heart and as full of fight as ever it is a consolation to know that the turks suffered still more seriously several times our machine guns got on to them in close formation and the whole surrounding country is still strewn with their dead of the state the reorganization of units and formations was impossible during the twenty sixth and twenty seventh owing to persistent attacks and advance was impossible until a reorganization could be effected and it only remained to entrench the position gained and to perfect the arrangements for bringing up ammunition water and supplies to the ridges in itself a most difficult undertaking 
four battalions of the royal navy division were sent up to reinforce the army corps on april twenty eighth and twenty ninth may second on the night of may second a bold effort was made to seize a commanding knoll in front of the centre of the line the enemy's enfilading machine guns were too scientifically posted and eight hundred men were lost without advantage beyond the infliction of a corresponding loss to the enemy on may fourth an attempt to seize caba tepe was also unsuccessful the barbed wire here being something beyond belief but a number of minor operations were carried out such as the taking of a turkish observing station the strengthening of entrenchments the reorganization of units and the perfecting of communication with the landing place also a constant strain was placed upon some of the best troops who to the number of twenty four thousand were constantly kept fighting and being killed and wounded freely as the turkish sniper is no match for the kangaroo shooter even at his own game two brigades sent to hellas the many urgent calls for reinforcements made during the previous critical fighting had forced me to disorganize and mix together several of the formations in the southern group to the extent even of the french on our right having a british battalion holding their own extremist right for the purposes of the impending fight it became therefore necessary to create temporarily a composite division consisting of the second australian and new zealand infantry brigades withdrawn for the purpose from the northern section together with the naval brigade formed of the plymouth and drake battalions twenty-ninth division was reconstituted into four brigades i e the eighty-eighth and eighty-seventh brigades the lancashire fusilier brigade t f and the twenty-ninth indian infantry brigade the french corps expeditionnaire was reinforced by the second naval brigade and the new composite division formed my general reserve during the three days may sixth through eighth our troops were destined to be very severely tried they were about to attack a series of positions scientifically selected in advance which although not yet joined up into one line of entrenchment were already strengthened by works on their most important tactical features after recounting the heavy fighting by which the twenty ninth division made its advance on may sixth and seventh the dispatch continues the troops were now worn out the new lines needed consolidating and it was certain that fresh reinforcements were reaching the turks balancing the actual state of my own troops against the probable condition of the turks i decided to call upon the men to make one more push before the new enemy forces could get into touch with their surroundings orders were therefore issued to dig in at sundown on the line gained to maintain that line against counter-attack and to prepare to advance again next morning the lancashire fusilier brigade was withdrawn into reserve and its place on the left was taken by the brigade of new zealanders general headquarters were shifted to an entrenchment on a hill in rear of the left of our line under my plan for the fresh attack the new zealand brigade was to advance through the line held during the night by the eighty eighth brigade and press on towards Krithia. simultaneously the eighty seventh brigade was to threaten the works on the west of the ravine whilst endeavouring by means of parties of scouts and volunteers to steal patches of ground from the areas dominated by the german machine-guns battle of Krithia. 
at 10.15 a.m. heavy fire from ships and batteries was opened on the whole front, and at 10.30 a.m. the New Zealand Brigade began to move, meeting with strenuous opposition from the enemy, who had received his reinforcements. Supported by the fire of the batteries and the machine guns of the 88th Brigade, they pushed forward on the right and advanced their center beyond the fir trees, but could make little further progress. By 1.30 p.m. about 200 yards had been gained beyond the previously most advanced trenches of the 88th Brigade. At this hour, the French Corps reported they could not advance up the crest of the spur west of Caravis Deer till further progress was made by the British. At 4 p.m., I gave orders that the whole line, reinforced by the 2nd Australian Brigade, would fix bayonets, slope arms, and move on Crithia precisely at 5.30 p.m. At 5.15 p.m., the ship's guns and our heavy artillery bombarded the enemy's position for a quarter of an hour and at 5.30 p.m. the field guns opened a hot shrapnel fire to cover the infantry advance. The cooperation of artillery and infantry in this attack was perfect, the timing of the movement being carried out with great precision. Some of the companies of the New Zealand regiments did not get their orders in time, but acting on their own initiative, they pushed on as soon as the heavy howitzers ceased firing, thus making the whole advance simultaneous. The steady advance of the British could be followed by the sparkle of their bayonets until the long lines entered the smoke clouds. The French at first made no move, then their drums beating and bugles sounding the charge, they suddenly darted forward in a swarm of skirmishers, which seemed in one moment to cover the whole southern face of the ridge of the Caravis deer. Against these the Turkish gunners now turned their heaviest pieces, and as the leading group stormed the first Turkish redoubt, the ink-black bursts of high-explosive shells blotted out both assailants and assailed. The trial was too severe for the Senegalese Tirolors. They recoiled. They were rallied. Another rushed forward, another repulse, and then a small supporting column of French soldiers was seen silhouetted against the sky as they charged upwards along the crest of the ridge of the Caravis Dare, whilst elsewhere it grew so dark that the whole of the battlefield became a blank. Not until next morning did any reliable details come to hand of what had happened. The New Zealanders' firing line had marched over the cunningly concealed enemy machine guns without seeing them, and these reopening on our supports as they came up caused them heavy losses. But the first line pressed on and arrived within a few yards of the Turkish trenches, which had been holding up our advance beyond the fir wood. There they dug themselves in. The Australian Brigade had advanced through the Composite Brigade, and in spite of heavy losses from shrapnel, machine gun, and rifle fire, had progressed from 300 to 400 yards. The determined valor shown by these two brigades, the New Zealand Brigade under Brigadier General F. E. Johnston, and the 2nd Australian Infantry Brigade under Brigadier General the Honorable J. W. McKay, are worthy of particular praise. Their losses were correspondingly heavy, but in spite of fierce counter-attacks by numerous fresh troops, they stuck to what they had won with admirable tenacity. On the extreme left, the 87th Brigade, under Major General W. R. Marshall, made a final and especially gallant effort to advance across the smooth, bullet-swept area between the ravine and the sea. But once more, the enemy machine-guns thinned the ranks of the leading companies of the South Wales borderers, 
and again there was nothing for it but to give ground but when night closed in the men of the eighty seventh brigade of their own accord asked to be led forward and achieved progress to the extent of just about two hundred yards during the darkness the british troops everywhere entrenched themselves on the line gained on the right the french column last seen as it grew dark had stormed and still held the redoubt round which the fighting had centred the second australian infantry brigade and the new zealand infantry brigade were for three days in the trenches they had dug but on the completion of the push towards krithia were retransferred to anzac the history of anzac during the next three months is told in the following extracts quinn's post turning now to where the australian and new zealand army corps were perched upon the cliffs of sari bear i must begin by explaining that their role at this stage of the operations was first to keep a door leading to the vitals of the turkish position secondly to hold up as large a body as possible of the enemy in front of them so as to lessen the strain at cape hellas anzac in fact was cast to play second fiddle to cape hellas a part out of harmony with the daredevil spirit animating those warriors from the south and so it has come about that as your lordship will now see the defensive of the australians and new zealanders has always tended to take on the character of an attack the line held during the period under review by the australian and new zealand army corps formed a rough semicircle inland from the beach of anzac cove with a diameter of about eleven hundred yards the firing line is everywhere close to the enemy's trenches and in all sections of the position sapping counter-sapping and bomb attacks have been incessant the shelling both of the trenches and beaches has been impartial and liberal as many as fourteen hundred shells have fallen on anzac within the hour and these of all calibers from eleven inches to field shrapnel around quinn's post both above and below ground the contest has been particularly severe this section of the line is situated on the circumference of the anzac semicircle at the farthest point from its diameter here our fire trenches are mere ledges on the brink of a sheer precipice falling two hundred feet into the valley below the enemy's trenches are only a few feet distant on may ninth a night assault was delivered on the enemy's trenches in front of quinn's post the trenches were carried at the point of the bayonet at dawn on may tenth a strong counter-attack forced our troops to fall back on quinn's post on the night of may fourteen fifteen a sortie was made from quinn's post with the object of filling in turkish trenches in which bomb throwers were active the sortie which cost us some seventy casualties was not successful on may fourteen lieutenant-general sir w r birdwood was slightly wounded but i am glad to say he was not obliged to relinquish the command of his corps death of general bridges on may fifteenth i deeply regret to say major-general w t bridges commanding the australian division received a severe wound which proved fatal a few days later sincere and single-minded in his devotion to australia and to duty his loss still stands out even amidst the hundreds of other brave officers who have gone general bridges was succeeded by major-general h b walker the first australian division was also commanded by major-general j g leggy who afterwards organized and commanded the second australian division may nineteenth 
on may eighteenth anzac was subjected to a heavy bombardment from large caliber guns and howitzers at midnight of the eighteenth nineteenth the most violent rifle and machine-gun fire yet experienced broke out along the front slackening from three a m to four a m it then broke out again and a heavy turkish column assaulted the left of number two section this assault was beaten off with loss another attack was delivered before daylight on the center of this section it was repeated four times and repulsed each time with very serious losses to the enemy simultaneously a heavy attack was delivered on the northeast salient of number four section which was repulsed and followed up but the pressing of the counter-attack was prevented by shrapnel attacks were also delivered on quinn's post courtney's post and along the front of our right section at about five a m the battle was fairly joined and a furious cannonade was begun by a large number of enemy guns including twelve inch and nine point two inch and other artillery that had not till then opened by nine thirty a m the turks were pressing hard against the left of courtney's and the right of quinn's post at ten a m this attack unable to face fire from the right swung round to the left where it was severely handled by our guns and the machine guns of our left section by eleven a m the enemy who were crowded together in the trenches beyond quinn's post were giving way under their heavy losses according to prisoners reports thirty thousand troops including five fresh regiments were used against us general lyman von sanders was himself in command the enemy's casualties were heavy as may be judged by the fact that over three thousand dead were lying in the open in view of our trenches a large proportion of these losses were due to our artillery fire our casualties amounted to about one hundred killed and five hundred wounded including nine officers wounded the next four days were chiefly remarkable for the carrying through of the negotiations for the suspension of arms which actually took place on may twenty fourth the negotiations resulted in a suspension of arms from seven thirty a m to four thirty p m on may twenty fourth the procedure laid down for the suspension of arms was i am glad to inform your lordship correctly observed on both sides the burial of the dead was finished about three p m some three thousand turkish dead were removed or buried in the area between the opposing lines the whole of these were killed on or since may eighteenth many bodies of men killed earlier were also buried from may twenty eighth till june fifth the fighting seemed to concentrate itself around quinn's post three enemy galleries had been detected there quinn's again from may twenty eighth till june fifth the fighting seemed to concentrate itself around quinn's post three enemy galleries had been detected there and work on them stopped by countermines which killed twenty turks and injured thirty one gallery had however been overlooked and at three thirty a m on may twenty ninth a mine was sprung in or near the centre of quinn's post the explosion was followed by a very heavy bomb attack before which our left centre subsection fell back letting in a storming party of turks this isolated one subsection on the left from the two other subsections on the right at five thirty a m our counter-attack was launched and by six a m the position had been retaken with the bayonet by the fifteenth australian infantry battalion led by major quinn who was unfortunately killed all the enemy in the trench were killed or captured 
on may thirtieth preparations were made in quinn's post to attack and destroy two enemy saps the heads of which had reached within five yards of our fire trench two storming parties of thirty-five men went forward at one p m cleared the sap heads and penetrated into the trenches beyond but they were gradually driven back by bombs of which the enemy seemed to have an unlimited supply during may thirty first close fighting continued in front of quinn's post on june first an hour after dark two sappers of the new zealand engineers courageously crept out and laid a charge of gun cotton against a timber and sandbag bomb-proof the structure was completely demolished the demonstrations on june fourth three separate enterprises were carried out by the australian and new zealand army corps these were undertaken in compliance with an order which i had issued that the enemy's attention should be distracted during an attack i was about to deliver in the southern zone first a demonstration in the direction of Kabatebi, the navy cooperating by bombarding the turkish trenches at quinn's post an assault was delivered at eleven p m a party of sixty men accompanied by a bomb-throwing party on either flank stormed the enemy's trench in the assault many turks were bayoneted and twenty-eight captured at six thirty a m the trench had to be abandoned on june fifth a sortie was made by two officers and one hundred men of the first australian infantry the objective being the destruction of a machine-gun in a trench known as german officers trench the darkness of the trench and its overhead cover prevented the use of the bayonet but some damage was done by shooting down over the parapet the aim of this gallant assault being attained the party withdrew in good order with their wounded casualties in all were thirty-six enver's attack on the night of june twenty nine thirty the turks acting as we afterwards ascertained under the direct personal order of enver pasha to drive us all into the sea made a big attack on the australian and new zealand army corps principally on that portion of the line which was under the command of major-general sir a j godley from midnight till one thirty a m a fire of musketry and guns of greatest intensity was poured upon our trenches a heavy column then advanced to the assault and was completely crumpled up by the musketry and machine-guns of the seventh and eighth light horse an hour later another grand attack took place against our left and left centre and was equally cut to pieces by our artillery and rifle fire the enemy's casualties may be judged by the fact that in areas directly exposed to view between four hundred and five hundred were actually seen to fall sulva and sahribert the great battle of august from the very first i had hoped that by landing a force under the heights of sahribert we should be able to strangle the turkish communications to the southwards whether by land or sea and so clear the narrows for the fleet owing to the enemy's superiority both in numbers and in position owing to underestimates of the strength of the original entrenchments prepared and sighted under german direction owing to the constant dwindling of the units of my force through wastage owing also to the intricacy and difficulty of the terrain these hopes had not hitherto borne fruit but they were well founded so much at least had clearly enough been demonstrated by the desperate and costly nature of the turkish attacks the australians and new zealanders had rooted themselves in very near to the vitals of the enemy by their tenacity and courage they still held open the doorway 
from which one strong thrust forward might give us command of the narrows before a man of the reinforcements had arrived my mind was made up as to their employment and by means of a vigorous offensive from anzac combined with a surprise landing to the north of it i meant to try and win through to matos leaving behind me a well-protected line of communications starting from the bay of suvla reinforcements on the nights of august four five and six the reinforcing troops were shipped into anzac very silently at the darkest hours then still silently they were tucked away from enemy aeroplanes and observatories in their prepared hiding places the whole sea route lay open to the view of the turks upon ashibaba's summit and battleship hill aeroplanes could count every tent and every ship at mundros or at embros within rifle fire of anzac's open beach hostile riflemen were looking out across the aegean no more than twenty feet from our opposing lines every modern appliance of telescope telegraph wireless was at the disposal of the enemy yet the instructions worked out at general headquarters in the minutest detail the result of conferences with the royal navy which were attended by brigadier general skeen of general birdwood's staff were such that the scheme was carried through without a hitch the troops now at the disposal of general birdwood amounted in round numbers to thirty seven thousand rifles and seventy two guns with naval support from two cruisers four monitors and two destroyers under the scheme these troops were to be divided into two main portions the task of holding the existing anzac position and of making frontal assaults therefrom was assigned to the australian division plus the first and third light horse brigades and two battalions of the fortieth brigade that of assaulting the chunuk bear ridge was entrusted to the new zealand and australian division less the first and third light horse brigades to the thirteenth division less five battalions and to the twenty ninth indian infantry brigade and to the indian mountain artillery brigade the twenty ninth brigade of the tenth division less one battalion and the thirty eighth brigade were held in reserve the assault on lone pine during august fourth fifth and sixth the works on the enemy's left and centre were subjected to a slow bombardment and on the afternoon of august sixth an assault was made upon the formidable lone pine entrenchment the work consisted of a strong pont d'appui on the southwestern end of a plateau where it confronted at distances varying from sixty to one hundred and twenty yards the salient in the line of our trenches named by us the pimple the entrenchment was evidently very strong was entangled with wire and provided with overhead cover the detailed scheme of attack was worked out with care and forethought by major-general h b walker commanding first australian division and his thoroughness contributed i consider largely to the success of the enterprise the action commenced at four thirty p m with a continuous and heavy bombardment of the lone pine and adjacent trenches h m s bacant assisting by searching the valleys to the northeast and east and the monitors by shelling the enemy's batteries south of gaba tepe the assault had been entrusted to the first australian brigade brigadier-general n m smith and punctually at five thirty p m it was carried out by the second third and fourth australian battalions 
the first battalion forming the brigade reserve two lines left their trenches simultaneously and were closely followed up by a third the rush across the open was a regular race against death which came in the shape of a hail of shell and rifle bullets from front and from either flank but the australians had firmly resolved to reach the enemy's trenches and in this determination they became for the moment invincible the barbed wire entanglement was reached and was surmounted then came a terrible moment when it seemed as though it would be physically impossible to penetrate into the trenches the overhead cover of stout pine beams resisted all individual efforts to move it and the loopholes continued to spit fire groups of our men then bodily lifted up the beams and individual soldiers leaped down into the semi-darkened galleries amongst the turks by five forty seven p m the third and fourth battalions were well into the enemy's vitals and a few minutes later the reserves of the second battalion advanced over their parados and driving out killing or capturing the occupants made good the whole of the trenches the reserve companies of the third and fourth battalions followed and at six twenty p m the first battalion in reserve was launched to consolidate the position counter-attack at lone pine at once the turks made it plain as they had never ceased to do since that they had no intention of acquiescing in the capture of this capital work at seven p m a determined and violent counter-attack began for seven hours these counter-attacks continued all this time consolidation was being attempted although the presence of so many turkish prisoners hampered movement and constituted an actual danger in beating off these desperate counter-attacks very heavy casualties were suffered by the australians part of the twelfth battalion the reserve of the third brigade had therefore to be thrown into the melee twelve hours later on the seventh another effort was made by the enemy being resumed at midnight and proceeding intermittently till dawn at an early period of this last counter-attack the fourth battalion was forced by bombs to relinquish a portion of a trench but later on led by their commanding officer lieutenant colonel mcnaughton they killed every turk who had got in at five a m on august ninth the enemy made a sudden attempt to storm from the east and southeast after a feint of fire attack from the north the seventh battalion bore the brunt of the shock and handled the attack so vigorously that by seven forty five there were clear signs of demoralization in the enemy's ranks but although this marked the end of counter-attacks on the large scale the bombing and sniping continued though in less volume throughout this day and night and lasted till august twelfth when it at last became manifest that we had gained complete ascendancy thus was lone pine taken and held the turks were in great force and very full of fight yet one weak australian brigade numbering at the outset but two thousand rifles and supported only by two weak battalions carried the work under the eyes of a whole enemy division the irresistible dash and daring of officers and men in the initial charge was a glory to australia in one corner eight turks and six australians were found lying as they had bayoneted one another to make room for the fighting men the dead were ranged in rows on either side of the gangway after the first violence of the counter-attacks had abated one thousand corpses our own and turkish were dragged out from the trenches the lone pine attack drew all the local enemy reserves toward it and may be held 
more than any other cause to have been the reason that the souffle bay landing was so lightly opposed our captures in this feat of arms amounted to one hundred and thirty-four prisoners seven machine guns and a large quantity of ammunition and equipment the neck baby seven hundred and german officers trench attacked other frontal attacks from the existing anzac positions were not so fortunate they included an attack upon the work known as german officers trench on the extreme right of our line at midnight on august six seven also assaults on the neck and baby seven hundred trenches opposite the centre of our line delivered at four thirty a m on the seventh the second australian brigade did all that men could do the light horse only accepted their repulse after losing three-fourths of that devoted band who so bravely sallied forth all that day as the result of these most gallant attacks turkish reserves on battleship hill were being held back to meet any dangerous developments along the front of the old anzac line and so were not available to meet our main enterprise which i will now endeavor to describe end of section thirty nine